to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Okay, let's jump right in here. First of all, I put together a Substack article for this month. It may be the only one of this month. I'm not entirely sure. I might write another one, but I'm typically writing about one a month. And it's up on the American Classroom Substack. You can also get to it on my website. Uh, it's titled The Culpable. And the subtitle is The Actions of K-12 Schools and Government After a Moment of Chaos. And what I did was, is I, again, very briefly described the Michigan school shooting to some extent. But more importantly, uh, even beyond that, I, I dive into what the typical moves and procedures tend to be when such a thing occurs. Um, Again, I, it's difficult for me to write an article about such an issue sometimes because I've written so many books about it. So you think of, of course, the length of a book and then the length of an article, and it, you know, it, uh, it's a bit mind-boggling sometimes because I struggle with what details to toss in and what details to leave out. Um, I did basically throw in a, a sort of a list of a just general procedure that is supposed to take place that did not take place. And there's an underlying issue, which I, I briefly mentioned in the article, as to why that particular step or steps were not made. Um, and it really has to do with, which I want to basically elaborate on here on the podcast, is that there's this mentality among some school counselors that they believe to themselves to essentially be the smartest people in the school building. Uh, they manage a great deal of information. They can examine grades. They can look at discipline referrals. They have all of this information at their fingertips, and they're taking all of it in, in particular when they're working alongside a special education liaison or when it comes to you know having something to do with IEPs or 504s or whatever form or policy or procedure that may exist within that school or you know within that district but there is this just overwhelming mentality sometimes again that the counselors know better and tend to actually view themselves as being professional human counselors for all kinds of people um, I would go so far as to say some of them believe themselves to be therapists to some extent. Uh, and I, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's like that with everybody, but I'm, I'm trying to give people an inside look as to the frame of mind of some of the people who work within these buildings, the positions they hold, and why they make the decisions that they make. And again, it wouldn't be uncommon, and it's unfortunate, but it wouldn't be uncommon for a school counselor to not have a police officer involved. Because again, as I say in the article, there's sort of this overwhelming feeling that a counselor can sort of handle all of the problems and sort of take care of everything and fix every student and work with them. I can, you know, I can work with a student and I can work with their mind and I'll fix them and blah, blah, blah. Um, this is where they fall apart. This is where they lose all credibility because that's not really their job. Their job is, in fact, to work with police, much like a social worker might. And I've even met social workers that don't like working with police, and they don't seem to understand that that's a major responsibility that they have. Again, I'm not saying it's everybody. I know that it's not. I'm simply saying that 
the frame of mind of an individual who holds a particular position in a school building is certainly a factor and a major variable at play as to why they would try to take the world on their shoulders and try to fix everything themselves. It's because they actually think they can, and that's absurd. And it could be, again, I wasn't there, I don't know, and I don't know these people, but it could be that that was certainly a major factor in not having the child's bag checked, in not having the um, the student frisked, uh, and, and, and I might add, which I, I say it in the article as well, that the... Uh, I, would, I don't know if it's a frame of mind, or it's certainly, it's certainly a, a policy. And it's one of those policies that's sort of an unwritten rule, but it's also highly implied that even if a student engages in a disciplinary action, like I've said in past episodes, actually recently, even before this shooting occurred, that um, it's not uncommon for them to want to diminish as many discipline referrals as possible, keep that from happening, send them back to class by simply having a one-on-one talk with them again, thinking that they can fix all of the problems and get to the crux of the matter as to why somebody was writing, you know, drawing a gun on a piece of paper and dead bodies and blood and X, Y, Z. They just, again, it's, it's not uncommon for some counselors to think that they can sort of um, check all of those boxes for lack of a better, lack of a better phrase or lack of a better saying. And again, unfortunately, of all of the counselors that I've worked with or around, there are two common themes that have consistently come up. Number one, most of them have been worthless. I only worked really with one excellent counselor that I recall. She will go unnamed, but she was very good at her job. Um, she was a mother, not that that matters, but she had children. And um, she not only listened, but she had common sense and a sense of humor. And she loved getting down to, down to business, but she was also very stern and firm. And there you have it. And as a result of all of that, she had the trust of countless students, which was great. All the other ones that I worked with were absolute head cases. All of them. One of them was uh, an abused alcoholic. A uh, lot of lot of divorce among school counselors. Most of them tend to be female. Um, not you know, not casting dispersions here. I'm simply saying that just that's a trend because that's the entire education business in a nutshell. Most tend to be female, and um, there you go. So I don't know. I could go on and on all day long about the particular roles of individuals, and I will. I mean, I'll continue to do that. I'm just not going to cram it all into one episode, but. There's certainly this, again, this mentality that, just to summarize, that a lot of counselors believe that they know more than most people in a school building because, as a result of their position, they tend to have their fingers in a lot of different cookie jars or a lot of different pots, so to speak. And the information, again, that they have at their disposal is, say, more than what, uh, you know, your average school teacher would have. And that is true. I mean, even counselors these days tend to counsel more paperwork and, and standardized test scores and uh, and grades than than ever before, as opposed to dealing with students who have serious discipline problems. Um, and I'm not again. I'm not saying the job is easy. It's certainly not. 
But again, if a child is just, it's sad, but it's such, it's such common sense. If a child is drawing the things that this student was drawing and the internet posts that existed and the countless students who knew what was going on, you're talking about something a counselor cannot handle. It just becomes something that's completely out of their league. This is something that, again, the law has to get involved with here. And so that was the fatal mistake. The fatal mistake was not getting other people involved, which I highlight in the, uh, in the article on, on how to do that, because there's a process that covers your bases and covers you know, a lot of bases, and it covers your backside as well. Because again, retribution is huge in moments like this, where everybody starts to headhunt and find a guilty party to blame. Um, so it, it absolves you of any wrongdoing if you just do the right thing from the get-go. But again, trying to keep problems or a student's problems secret, you know, in your own office as if to say, well, I'm the counselor and I can help them and they can come to me and they don't want to come to you and blah, blah, blah. That's, uh, that's a, that's a level of big headedness that, that is dangerous. And again, that's putting it mildly. I would also end this particular issue for the for the meantime by saying this that most students detest counselors. They detest them. Uh, counselors will introduce themselves to a school or to a, a certain section of a class or a population. Sometimes counselors will receive, you know, be assigned all students who are between the alphabetical letters of, you know, A and a and N, and then everybody and then another counselor will take the rest all the way with the last students who have the last letter that begins with the letter Z. So the you know the the distribution of students to counselors is done alphabetically is is basically what I'm saying. That's one way that it's done. Sometimes counselors will f- simply follow uh, students in a grade level all the way out of a building, so the counselor that way knows all of the students throughout their entire time within that school building, whether it be, again, three grades in a middle school or four grades in a high school, they'll just, they'll go from being a freshman counselor and then the very next year they'll be a sophomore counselor. You get what I'm saying. Um, That happens also. But the vast majority of students, if they have an issue, everybody knows that what they do is, is they go to a trusted teacher. They typically don't go to a counselor. They typically don't go to an administrator if they have a problem they typically go again to a trusted teacher. Um, and not everybody goes to a trusted teacher. A lot of students are just bright enough to handle the problems on their own. Or again, they have a stable home with intelligent parents and they go home and they talk with their parents about what's going on. And the parent provides logical solutions. And sometimes the logical parents get in touch with, again, a trusted teacher. But I've worked in, you know, the two buildings that I worked in People were not comfortable going to the counselors uh, with problems because they had a track record of, again, not solving the problem, not getting down to the crux of the issue and actually solving it. So is that a reputation that exists within American K-12 schools among counselors? Yes, it certainly is. It certainly is. So again, you know, it's a tragic situation that's putting it mildly. Um, I feel terrible for everybody involved, but at the same time, uh, you know, we're at war here, ladies and gentlemen, and that war spills its way um, into the K-12 environment in a lot of different ways. And unfortunately, as I say in the article, 
again on my Substack, one of the ways that that occurs is through bad education and bad training. And that Marxist teacher education, counselor education um, training is, you know, it, I mean, it's just infiltrated the minds of countless individuals for a, a very long time. Um, like I said earlier, counselors actually used to counsel students to, the, to arrive at a logical conclusion, and then that would be the end of that time with that particular student. That's not the case now. Again, a lot of counselors view themselves as being full-time therapists, and they are not. Um, so there you go. Again, I could I could go on for days and days about it, but I'm just going to leave it there. There's there's too much to there's too much to break open there. Um, but I'll get into again numerous parts of it as time goes on. I'm certain. So again, check out the article titled "The Culpable" uh, at the American Classroom substack.com. You can also get to it through my website if you're interested in checking it out, sharing it, doing whatever you want to do with it. So there you go. Um, a couple of articles certainly that I want to read. Couple, uh, certainly one audio clip I'd like to play. A lot of jab stuff too, as you might imagine. It's not going away. It's not going to go away. Um, the first thing is this Chicago public school bathroom policy. And I don't know if I brought this up in the past. Again, I, I, you know, I can't believe we're still talking about the bathroom nonsense and uh, the gender fluid bathrooms. That that is still a thing and still going on. But honest to God, these people and these these just demons cannot cannot help themselves here. I mean, they're showing us that they're pedophiles. They're showing us again that they don't care about the safety of children. And it's got nothing to do with, they don't have enough bathrooms, so we all have to share a bathroom. That's not it. It's that they actually um, are gender fluid in their own minds, the very people that are creating these horrific policies that are putting children in danger. So again, if you needed another reason to homeschool, uh, listen to this individual from the Chicago Public School District explain away or rationalize their implementation of everybody gets to use the same bathroom, including staff members with students. Because again, what could possibly go wrong? Steps to create more inclusive and supportive schools. One change that will be implemented this school year relates to our school bathrooms. In compliance with new federal guidelines, all CPS students and staff will have fair and equitable access to bathroom facilities that align with their gender identity. We will be providing all schools with updated signage that makes our bathrooms more inclusive. It will identify the fixtures available in each restroom and make it clear that all restrooms are open for use by anyone who feels comfortable. Staff will continue to have staff-only restrooms available to them. This is an incredibly important step to increase gender equity for all, which is why we will be requiring all schools to post this signage by December 1st of this school year. Our district's Office of Student Protections in Title IX is also working on a long-term plan to create more permanent signage for our bathrooms. I encourage you to visit our website at cps.edu forward slash OSP to learn more about our comprehensive approach to creating more inclusive 
equitable, and safe schools. If you have any questions, you can email us at ospscps.edu. We look forward to having a safe and successful school year at every school in every neighborhood across Chicago. Thank you. Safety across every school in every neighborhood in Chicago. There's a billboard you'll never read. I mean, seriously, that, that, there's something you'll never hear. You know what I think of when I think of Chicago? Safety. No, this is absurd. That's, again, uh, this is horrible. Men's plus bathrooms, men, women's plus restrooms. This restroom has both urinals and stalls. All who feel comfortable are welcome to use this restroom. This is part of their signage. Now, yeah, it did say, uh, thank God, although this is horrible for students, but it did say that there are staff-only bathrooms. But um, uh, th their own signage, again, is just awful. And what federal guideline? Again, not a law. So we know that anything that the government says, these robots will implement. But what federal guideline states that they have to do this in their school building. There isn't one, ladies and gentlemen. And again, if there is one, it's a suggestion because it can't be a law. But again, these leftist whack jobs love this kind of stuff because it's pedophilia and it's right up their alley. They just love it. They absolutely love it. They haven't learned. And it's a school. So, you know, wrap your head around that one. Seems a bit ironic, does it not? Okay. Uh, moving on, here's the next article that I wanted to bring up, and certainly a, a continuing theme that's taking place. This comes from Yahoo, of all places, but the title is awfully telling, and I think we can read through the lines here because we're a smart bunch. It says, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota School District Extends Winter Break Over Staffing Issues. Tennessee Universities Can No Longer Require Masks or COVID-19 Vaccines. Hmm. Well, a Minnesota school district is extending is extending their winter break rather uh, over staffing issues. Well, I, I wonder what the issue could possibly be in the bitter cold of Minnesota, where your staff members are double and triple jabbed. Hmm, and they're still wearing masks. I'm sure, so they're depriving themselves of oxygen. I wonder what it could be. Oh, I wonder. And the Tennessee University, again, I believe at least one of them is um, the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, has now said uh, you don't have to wear masks anymore, um, and there's no more vaccination requirement. Well, isn't that interesting, and isn't that a little too late? Isn't that just a little too late? Because, again, I'm sure the vast majority of the individuals attending were wearing masks for a very long time, certainly a year and a half now and um, are probably double or triple jabbed because they were told they had to be. But oops, now all of a sudden you don't have to be. You see, this is toothpaste you cannot put back in the tube. You just can't. You can't pick this mercury up with a fork. Once it's out there, you know, the damage is already done. So again, of all of the articles that I've read about these jabs, there are things that can be done, as I've even brought up on the podcast before, that can help an individual rid themselves of the graphene oxide that exists in all of the jabs. What you can't rid yourself of is the messenger RNA. That's permanent. That's permanent damage. There's no getting rid of that. 
other than, again, crossing your fingers and praying that you didn't uh, actually receive one of the real doses and that you got a placebo. But again, there's no way a person would know that unless, of course, well, there, there's just no way. Even a D-dimer test might not read what's actually going on within a person's body. So, yeah. But again, they, they can try to hide. They can try to hide their ill policies, and and again, their their water main breaks, as I said in the past. Or well, we had an electrical outage, so we had to close school for a week. And oh, we're going to take an early winter break because um, staff shortages. No, your staff is falling ill, and some of them are dying. But as we also know, the word manipulation with the deaths that are related to the jabs are things like, oh, they died of cancer, or oh, they had a heart attack, or oh, they had a stroke, or um, they died of a quote-unquote sudden illness, or, you know, bout with a short illness. Again, the word manipulation is so key in war because it's used by the enemy on a constant basis. And if you can't pick up on the trends of that word usage, you're going to be lost. You're just not going to be able to see the landscape for what's really going on. So again, that's one of the reasons why I consistently bring it up on this podcast, because it has to be brought up. And the word usage changes. I mentioned this earlier as well. A number of episodes ago, it was probably even six months ago, at least six months ago, that's when the enemy started to use the word jab. See, we've been using the word jab, the good guys, we've been using the word jab for a long time, since the start, because we know that this isn't a vaccine. So we started using the word jab. Dr. Dave Jand on his radio show, again, used the word jab for a very long time. I've been saying jab since the beginning as well, but it was about six months ago when the bad guys like Boris Johnson and a bunch of other people started to use the word jab. Well, just go out and get your jab. Now, if you go out and get your jab, everything's going to be okay. Just go get your jab. And they just kept saying it over and over and over again because they knew what we knew. And they know what we know. So, yeah. Jab's our word. You don't get to steal that. That's our word. Uh, this next article, again, excellent academic paper, uh, paper here. It comes from two individuals who are associated with the University of London. Queen Mary, uh, it's researchgate.net. It's titled, Latest Statistics on England Mortality Data Suggest Systemic Miscategorization of Vaccine Status and Uncertain Effectiveness of COVID-19 Vaccine, and it's dated this month. So again, in the uh, Book of Common Sense, that's where this article exists. It says the following, I'll just read the abstract very quickly here, quote, the risk benefit of COVID vaccines is arguably most accurately measured by an all-cause mortality rate comparison of vaccinated against unvaccinated, since it not only avoids most co-founders relating to case definition, but also fulfills the WHO CDC definition of vaccine effectiveness, quote unquote, for mortality. Agreed. I agree with them. The easiest way to see if it works is to look at the vaccinated, look at the unvaccinated, or the jabbed and the unjabbed, and see who's getting ill. Ladies and gentlemen, the purebloods are not getting ill. We are fine. Isn't that funny how that works? It continues, quote, we examined the latest UK ONS vaccine mortality surveillance report, which provides the necessary information to monitor this crucial comparison over time. At first glance, the ONS data suggests 
in each of the older age groups, all-causes mortality is lower in the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. Despite this apparent evidence to support vaccine effectiveness, at least for the older age groups on closer inspection of this data, this conclusion is cast into doubt because of a range of fundamental inconsistencies and anomalies in the data. Whatever the explanations for the observed data, it is clear that it is both unreliable and misleading. While sociodemographical and behavioral differences between vaccinated and unvaccinated have been proposed as possible explanations, there is no evidence to support any of these. By Occam's razor, we believe the most likely explanations are systemic miscategorizations of deaths between the different categories of unvaccinated and vaccinated, delayed or non-reporting of vaccinations, systemic underestimation of the proportion of unvaccinated and or incorrect population selection for COVID deaths. In summary, fraud. That's it. The reason that these reporting systems are not accurate even though they're not accurate, they still can't hide the deaths of the, un, uh, of the vaccinated. They still can't hide it because the numbers are too high. And it, again, it's been said a million times about VAERS that it's only reporting 1% of all of the cases. And of course, we know that the vast majority of doctors, even though they're supposed to, they don't, are not adding uh, the jab ill effects among the among the jabbed within the VAERS database. And the VAERS database is only one database. There are a number of them. So there you go. Not good. And again, this is, um, this is too big to hide. And they keep trying to hide it, but they're not getting any better at it. And they're not going to get any better at it. It's just going to continue to become more and more obvious. Now, this next piece of audio I want to play comes from an English funeral director by the name of John O'Looney. And you've probably heard him before. He certainly made the rounds a while back regarding the number of deaths that he was seeing within his funeral home uh, and how the vast majority of them had been jabbed. So this particular audio clip is relatively recent. And again, this is him talking for about seven minutes as to what he's receiving, along with him reaching out to the UK health minister and trying to get a response, and of course they haven't responded in typical fashion. So I'm going to play this. Go ahead and get comfortable. Again, it's about seven minutes long, but it's an excellent audio. And again, it's a it's a perfect warning, and it's the basic warning again that countless people have made. You know, only a only a completely asleep human being would have to not know that this is going on and that this uh, this actually exists. Hi guys. Um, so just a quick update from me. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's John. I'm a funeral director based in Milton Keynes. Um, uh, uh, I run a, a funeral home called Milton Keynes Family Funeral Services. Uh, and a quick search uh, online for that um, will find me and verify who I am. So uh, many of you will know me. Um, so I'll just give you an update as to where we are at this time. And it is the 6th of December. Um, 2021. So what we're seeing is a large number, an unnaturally large number of deaths due to heart attack, stroke, aneurysm, um, and these are all as a direct result of thrombosis embolisms um, in the lungs, the legs, 
various places um, uh, that's causing these deaths. Um, and these are well documented by the local coroners. These are well documented, um, you know, across the country. Nobody seems to be concerned by the alarming rise in them. You know, um, I used to see a blood clot very, very rarely. Um, and now I've seen more this year than I have in the previous 14, to give you an idea. I've written to the chief coroner of England. He isn't concerned. I've had no response for weeks and weeks. And then I had an email from his secretary saying um, he does, he's not interested. There you go. This is the guy who's supposed to be protecting us. Um, from 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 harm. Um, so we're seeing those deaths. The other type of death that I'm seeing, which is more distressing for me personally, is people um, who are getting sick now as their immune systems um, finally give up. So they've had the jabs maybe six, eight months ago, and uh, it's been eaten away at their immune system. And now they're struggling to fight off things like the common cold. So we're in winter, um, and as you'll be aware, there are colds and flus about at this time of the year. These people can't fight it off, and the government will be very quick to label it um, Omicron, a new variant. You know, um, And they are sick, but they're sick with basic things like the common cold. Um, their immune systems are decimated, and, and if you think about it logically, much like, um, for example, a cancer patient. So when you get a cancer patient and they're on chemotherapy, it decimates their immune system. And one of the things um, that they have to be extremely careful of is because they've got you know, no immune system, a basic cold, common cold or a flu can kill them. And this is what we're seeing now in, in um, the, these jab recipients uh, across up and down the country. They're becoming extremely ill, really, really ill. And, and the saddest thing is, is they're actually convinced that um, if they'd have had the jab, it would have, you know, lessened that illness. So, for example, I've got a couple of friends. I've known them for a long time. Very intelligent guy, logical thinker. Um, him and his wife uh, have both been jabbed. She's had one. He's had both. Um, he's bitterly desperate now. He's desperate to get the booster because he feels so terribly ill. He thinks that will make him feel better. You know, what do you say to these people? Because they just won't believe it. They feel terribly ill. His wife um, is saying how she's desperate now. She's had one jab, wishes she'd had the second. She's desperate to get the second, can't get booked up quick enough. I tried to explain, this is what is killing you. This is killing you. It's damaging your immune system. All you've got is a common cold. And I said to him, look, I will come over. I'll bring you whatever you need. I will kiss you on the lips because I'm in no danger of falling sick because I have an immune system that's protecting me as a guy who hasn't been jabbed. Um, these people, uh, you know, it, it was well documented on the Georgia Guidestones and, and other places what would happen. These people are going to willingly walk over the cliff begging for more. I really don't know what else I can say. So, so that's, um, you know, we're nearly 12 months in now um, from when the first jabs went into people, so their immune systems will be falling apart now. That's the reality, and that's what I'm seeing. You know, neighbours getting sick and ill and having Amazon deliveries because they have to isolate, they can't get out, because their immune systems are falling over, and it's winter, and it's cold season, and they can't cope with the cold anymore in the same way a cancer patient with a decimated immune system can't. I really, um, I wish I knew the answer. You know, what can I do? What can I do to convince people what is actually happening to them? You know, um, I really don't know. I really don't know, but I'm seeing it. I know it's happening. This is when I went for the meeting in September to Westminster. Um, the scientists there said exactly what was happening. And lo and behold, this is what's happening. You know, these people are 
getting sick and dying, as I said all along, you know. Um, I kind of, now is the time I'm starting to wait for the phone calls to come in from family and friends. And it's, um, it's frightening, isn't it? You know, and I, I do wonder if these people will fall over and die still thinking it's convinced it's COVID, you know, and blaming anti-vaxxers, you know. Uh, oh, you're a terrible danger if it wasn't for you, you know. You know, what can you say? What can you say? Um, all I can do, you know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink. Uh, and I've told these people what would happen to them if they took these jabs and they haven't listened. Um, many have, many have. And I just want to say a big thank you to the thousands and thousands of people who have been in touch um, by email, phone calls that have visited me with so much love and support. You know, it's a wonderful, humbling experience. Well, you know, it's telling me how brave I am. I don't feel brave. All I've done is care. I've just cared. And I still care. And I can't turn that care off. So um, for anyone that's watching, you know, if you've had your jabs and you've been protected, but you're still really, really ill and you've got COVID and you're having to isolate, this is why. It's because these jabs are decimating your immune system. The other type are the blood clots, they're the quick killers, um, and we've seen plenty of those as well. So please, 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 don't take any more of these jabs. It's killing you. It's killing you. Uh, and lining up for more jabs when you're desperately ill already isn't the answer. It really isn't the answer. Take a step back. Just look a little bit deeper than the BBC and Google are telling you. The jabs are what are making you ill. The, the, the Omicron is vaccine injury. They're nothing more than that. Um, will you believe it? I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, Time will tell, I guess. Time will tell. But that's where we are in, in um, December uh, uh, of 2021. We're exactly where the scientists told me we would be, um, sadly. Uh, um, I just hope that people listen. Um, I hope that people listen, because if they don't, they're going to get sick and they're going to die. That's the reality. You will die if you keep taking these jabs. Uh, and, you know, oh, bless you. Bless you. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Never a true word spoken. Very solid. Very solid to say the least. A couple of things he brought up there that I think are remarkably important. Number one, beyond you know the stuff that's pretty obvious to us at this point. Number one, sometimes you can't even lead a horse to water. Sometimes they're just going to stick their feet in the ground and you'll pull and pull and they just won't move. So, you know, you can't always lead a horse to water, let alone make it drink. That's the first thing, I think. The second thing is that he raises a very interesting, again, it's one of those notches on the spectrum of, of occurrences that is happening or occurring, and it's the business of the jabbed thinking that once they get ill, because they will get ill, again, unless they've taken a placebo, but that once they get ill, they think to themselves, the reason I'm ill is because I haven't had a flu shot, or the reason I'm ill is because I didn't get that second jab or that third booster, or whatever it may be. They're actually now being trained to believe that the shot is the only thing that keeps them well. I have no doubt that that's happening. No doubt in my mind whatsoever. Again, that's next level brainwashing. 100%. Now that the ill effects are, are kicking in and have been kicking in, they're actually saying to themselves that... It's because I don't have more jabs and poison in my body that that's the reason I'm ill. Honest to God, it's as if they can't look around and find an unjabbed person 
and just look at them and say, hey, look, you're not jabbed. You're, you're pretty healthy. What, what, uh, what's causing that? What are you doing? And they're not even thinking to, I don't know. <clears throat> some are, of course. Some are thinking that, and some know that. There's plenty of jab regret that exists. So there are plenty of people out there who have taken the jabs and said, what in the hell have I done to myself? This is awful. But there you go. I mean, he raises an excellent point, and he would know he's a funeral director, for God's sake. So there you have it. Um, here's, a, here's another story I wanted to bring up. Uh, this comes from jihadwatch.com. I'm going to go through this briefly because this is horrible too. Because again, it's open season on the truth and publishing the truth, in particular among researchers and professors. It's titled Sweden Professor Faces Prosecution for Research Paper That Shows That Most Rapes Were Committed by Migrants. And yeah, also true. This comes from, uh, this is, uh, I'm sorry, December 5th. It says, the truth is not important. Identity politics and mass, mi uh, mass migration, those are the important things. Christina Sundquist, Sundquist made a mistake of playing by the old obsolete rules in which truth was actually valued. Sweden's Lund University researcher faces prosecution for study that showed most rapes are committed by immigrants. It says, quote, Professor uh, Christina Lundquist of Lund University, Sweden, and two of her colleagues are facing prosecution by the Board of Appeal for Ethical Review, a body that reports to the Swedish Ministry of Education. The reason behind the investigation initiated by the body is the research paper that was submitted by Sundquist that shows most rapes that happened in Sweden were committed by immigrants. Ah, uh, it's just, I gotta tell you what, how much more proof do we need that all of these institutions and, again, research review boards and publications are bought, sold, and absolutely corrupt beyond repair? This can't... This just can't define it any clearer. This poor, poor woman is researching the truth and now is facing possible prosecution. Um, awful. Absolutely awful. It says the following, too. Quote, The body would not investigate whether Sundquist and the co-author of the paper, Professor Ardvan Koshnod, no chance on that one, were given ethical license, quote-unquote, to handle, quote, sensitive data on the ethnicity of the criminals accused of rape in the country. Interestingly, the aim of the study was not to target any group or community, but to find out common denominators like health issues, social and employment status among perpetrators. The results were, according to Koshnod, surprising for the team as well. See, that's the best research. The best research, again, is when certain anomalies, if you will, although they're not anomalies, they're just hidden facts, rise to the surface and are surprising to the researchers themselves. Again, it's Sweden, so I don't know why that would be surprising, because over here in America... Um, Africans or migrants, Muslim migrants being the predominant 
groups and demographics of individuals that are committing these heinous crimes is actually well known among most of us, in particular those of us that have been reading about this for quite some time. Uh, let's see, it continues, it says, Notably, Sunquist is the most cited professor at the university regarding social research. Sadly, she would face an investigation for publishing an allegedly, quote, unauthorized research report. She may face prosecution for the conclusion of her study that shows that the majority of the rapes were committed by immigrants to the country. Uh, there you go. So... I'm going to, well, I'll finish it up. It says, details of this study done by Professor Sunquist say the paper titled Swedish Rape Offenders, the Latent Case Analysis PDF was published in February of this year, 2021, uh, and the conclusion of the study was based on 3,039 rape convicts between the period of 2000 and 2015. It's noteworthy that, that the data does not include the influx of migrants from the Middle East and Africa from 2015 till date that increased exponentially due to the unrest in those regions. The study was concluded because as per the paper's introduction, there was an increase in the rates of sexual crimes, including rapes in the country. And I'll stop it there because the article ends there. Again, uh, it's a full-out war for the truth. It does not matter how ethical the research is or what data they have at their disposal. If it exposes the truth, those individuals are to be cast out. And sadly, in this particular case, possibly prosecuted. That's absurd. Absolutely absurd. And again, if you're just looking at data sets... You almost don't even need some high status of an IRB, uh, IRB review when conducting such a research because you're just gathering data that already exists and examining things. You're not actually talking to people. You're not talking to minors. You're not talking to adults. It's pretty standard procedure. It's a standard study. It could have actually just been a literature review. You could have just done one of those. But again, they were gathering information over the course of 15 years. So yeah, that's going to produce some eye-opening material, to say the least. Now here's the last thing I wanted to mention. This particular story, again, just another follow-up to the Michigan school shooting. And as you would expect, more and more information is going to come out on a daily basis about this, certainly a weekly basis. Jesse James tossed me this one from WXYZ.com. It's titled, Victim in Oxford High School Shooting Files $100 Million Lawsuit against district employees. This isn't going to end well for them. It's just not. Uh, he also has been sending me a bunch of text messages, and I got to tell you, it's pretty evident that the principal of the school building knew exactly what was going on, in particular in advance, and had apparently addressed the entire school over the PA system at least once, saying to stop watching social media and pay attention to social media, that there's no there's no uh, there's no threat here. And that was the middle of November, I guess. So here's what it says. It says, quote, two $100 million lawsuits have been filed against the Oxford School District and several employees after the deadly shooting last week. The lawsuits were filed in federal court in Detroit by Jeffrey and Brandy France on behalf of their daughters, Riley, a 17-year-old senior, who was shot in the neck, 
and her sister Bella, a 14-year-old ninth grader who was next to her at the time. Their attorney is Jeffrey Feiger, if I'm saying that right. This is on top of the district. Those in the lawsuit include the district superintendent, the Oxford High School principal, dean of students, two counselors, two teachers, and a staff member. A press conference is scheduled for, well, Thursday. Uh, and it says the shooting happened again on November 30th and left four students dead and six students and a teacher injured. These employees are finished. They're absolutely finished. It's not going to matter if they escape any criminal prosecution, which at this point is pretty evident that they knew what was going on and failed to act. That is a state crime. That's at least, I mean, it's a handful of state crimes by themselves. Again, when you're in a position like that and you're not creating a safe environment, which is ultimately your number one job, then that's it for you. You're done. So again, if for some reason, which I don't know what it would be, that they would escape criminal prosecution in that particular case, they're going to be destitute. I mean, they will lose their jobs. That's that's done with. Um, There's no way they can hold on to any certification whatsoever in any state. Their names are forever tarnished as a result of being associated with this, number one, but number two, being on the wrong end of that stick. And then I would say thirdly, you know, they're never going to get hired anywhere else ever again. And any kind of lawsuit, again, is (laughs) they don't have that kind of money. I mean, the district has an insurance policy, and they're clearly going to empty out that insurance policy. And I would probably go so far as to say I would bet that 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 school's insurance is completely gone now, that that company just packed up and left and said, yeah, we're done representing you. We can't help you in this case. Sorry. And then they just, you know, they just canceled their policy with them. But, yeah, this is, this is just going to get way, way worse for them, and rightfully so. Because, again, this is what happens when you sweep problems under the rug and you consistently say, everything is fine here, everything is fine here. Uh, student safety is our number one concern and always has been, always will be. Anytime a building says that in the middle of an investigation, that is not their number one concern. Student safety is not their number one concern. They're wearing masks, for God's sakes. So we know that student safety is not their number one concern. But this is just awful, and uh, yeah. But justice will prevail, I'm certain of it. So with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.